Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Hello, Grace Life friends. Glad you can join us for another podcast in our Simply by Grace podcast. And uh, Grace Life has a number of different ministries. Podcast is one of them, and every other week we like to talk about a theological subject. And then every other week we have a grace story right now, which is a testimony about how God's grace has changed people's lives. So you might want to check those out because uh, there are some really fantastic stories on our grace stories and of course uh, you can visit our website gracelife.org for more resources and we would love to hear your feedback on today's discussion give us some stars and some comments so that other people will tune into the podcast as well and uh, i think you'll find it an interesting discussion today you know grace life we say our purpose is to share the gospel of grace with believers with unbelievers and the gospel of grace i'm sorry we share the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. That's a tongue twister. And so we are sharing the gospel of grace around the world with unbelievers, but we also want to help believers appreciate the gospel, of, the grace of the gospel so that they live freely and can grow and mature into Christian life. And that's why we provide the resources that we do and the discussions that we do. And of course, as you tune in to us or look at our research, you'll find out that we take a position called free grace, free grace theology, the free grace view. And um, and that's what we're going to talk about today to help you understand that a little bit better because it just doesn't come out of anywhere. It's just not a theology created out of thin air. It comes from the way we approach the Bible. And so we have with us today uh, our, our guest, Grant Hawley, and he's done a lot of study on this subject uh, of how the free grace view comes from what we call a dispensational view. He's going to have to explain that to us. He's written a book called Dispensation and Free Grace, Intimately Linked, along with a lot of other books you've written. So welcome to the podcast, Grant. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be on the podcast with you. I just mentioned you've written other books, so if people want to look at some other books, what would they look for? Well, uh, my first book was called The Guts of Grace, and it's a discipleship book that uh, a lot of times churches use it in Sunday schools and that kind of thing, or people use it in small groups to study together, and that covers um, a lot of different issues. It covers hermeneutics, uh, which is the science and art of biblical interpretation. just gives an introduction to that. It talks about free grace theology. It talks about Christian living, how do we live in community and liberty and those sort of things, and then also about the kingdom. I also wrote a book called Easy Peasy Biblical Greek, which sounds like a, an oxymoron, and it kind of is. Um, but what I've done there is uh, let people use some of the modern tools that are available so that they don't have quite as much memorization. And so um, that's available on, on Amazon. I've got um, a book that I edited and help write with uh, Charlie and some others called uh, Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Magnifies the Gospel. Um, also wrote a book uh, with a bunch of other authors uh, called 21 Tough Questions About Grace. Charlie was one of those as well. Um, I don't know. I, I know I've written some others, but 
Yeah. Yeah, you've been pretty busy. So I know that I carry some of those books. People can get them through Grace. Like, where else can they find them? On Amazon? Yeah, Amazon. And sometimes they're cheaper on um, boldgrace.org. Okay, boldgrace.org. Good. Um, And Grant, by the way, is currently, he's been very active in what we call the Free Grace Movement, and he's currently the director of the Free Grace Alliance. Free Grace Alliance, we'll talk about maybe a little bit later um, after we have our theological discussion. But Grant, just just give us a little background on yourself. Where are you from and how did you become a Christian? Well, I'm originally from Kansas. Uh, moved around a lot. Um, my, my parents divorced when I was young. Um, and my mom went back to school to earn her doctorate. And uh, that took us to a few different college towns. And I ended up in Texas to graduate high school, um, Denton, Texas. And I went to the University of North Texas. I became a Christian when I was little. My mom taught my Sunday school. And uh, she, she shared the gospel with me. Um, and I, I just remember hearing the gospel and believing. I'm not even sure if the time I remember was the first time. Um, I just remember um, hearing that. And she made it clear enough that I definitely understood that Christ is my Savior and and uh, that I was able to live forever with Him um, just by believing and not by, by good works. As when my parents split up, my family uh, didn't go to church as often after that. And so I, I ended up kind of uh, drifting away a little bit from uh, walking with the Lord and I got into some typical trouble from, for teenagers. Um, when I was 17, I, I got back involved in church at a church that taught Lordship Salvation. And I, I'm not sure that I ever really fully embraced Lordship Salvation, but I didn't really have answers for some of the things that they would say. And so I probably would talk out of both sides of my mouth. I would um, probably be free grace in one conversation and lordship in another, depending on what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, like a lot of people are. Yeah, inconsistent. I've been that way myself till we I sorted things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, so I, I joined the, the volunteer staff as a youth leader at that church. And right at the beginning of the semester, we had a, a retreat for all the youth leaders. This was a really big church. And there were about uh, 30 youth, youth leaders for the high school group. And I was, you know, I was a college student at the time. And um, there was a, a man that I hadn't met um, who was sitting alone by himself reading. And I went and introduced myself and asked what you're reading. And he was reading Absolutely Free by Zane Hodges. Mm-hmm. And so he told me all about free grace theology and explained, you know, how different passages fit in with it and all that kind of stuff. And um, it made sense to me. It helped me make sense of the Bible. Uh, we ended up getting in trouble with that church. They didn't, they didn't like that we were uh, free grace. And uh, a few of us got, got booted out of the church. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. That issue. yeah, that happens. That does happen to people. In fact, I heard about an incident like that recently. Well, at least you were spared. You became a Christian as a young person. You were spared a lot of trouble. The last people I've interviewed for our grace stories <laughs> all had a life of drugs, and two of them were in prison. They're all missionaries now. But God's grace can work in a number of different ways at a number of different times. But uh, thank God we're all there in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you mentioned how you came to a free grace position. It was probably not overnight. You had to probably get the book, I'm imagining, and mm-hmm. study it and consider the views mm-hmm. that 
didn't jive with what you've heard before. Right? I mean, yeah. you, you, um, you, you, yeah. you had to study it out to some degree. The Reign of the Servant Kings was actually a really major work for me to, to help me figure that out. Jody Dillow's book, Reign of the Servant Kings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, a copy that's um, in about five different pieces because I've <laughs> worn it out and it's just fallen apart and it's got notes all over it. And, you know, I, I read that two or three times um, right there at that first year. And when I was starting to embrace um, free grace theology, I ended up, um, we did a, like a Bible study that was just uh, this, this friend and another friend and myself and two other leaders from the high school group and, and then one young man who was starting college that, uh, that next year, it was in the summer. And uh, that's the study that got us in trouble. And what we were doing in that in this study was we had a, a stack of books and articles from a lordship perspective and the same from a free grace perspective and we had reading assignments and we would go through there and and then discuss what we found over scripture and and, and all that kind of stuff so huh interesting mm-hmm. well you know people often ask me how i came to how i became free grace in my theology and i had no converting moment or particular book i read I had exposure. In fact, Zane Hodges was a great influence on my life, and I had exposure to him actually before he wrote Absolutely Free. I was uh, working with him on a board before that book was actually published. Uh, but really, what what convinced me was just reading the scriptures mm-hmm. and 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 taking them at face value at what they said. And so, the whole idea of hermeneutics or Bible study methods becomes very important in. How we, where we end up theologically, and that's what we're talking about today, because there is a, a connection between how we study the Bible, and the theology that we end up with, and so, uh, usually we would, most people who are free grace and theology would say that they are dispensational also, and that's a big word that some people don't understand. Can you explain? to us what the word dispensational means. What does it mean to have a dispensational view of the scriptures? Yeah, so the basic idea of dispensationalism is that God works with different people in different ways at different times for different purposes. And so you can see some of that played out as you're reading the scriptures and, you know, the instructions that God gave Adam and Eve, for example. Um, you know, we don't, we don't run around naked anymore uh, because we're living in a different dispensation. Um, we we don't have any for um, tree that we're not supposed to eat the fruit from. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank God we can eat bacon now. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Under the Old Testament law, uh, we weren't allowed to to eat bacon. And so, uh, because we're not we're not under that law, because this is a different dispensation. We're different peoples. We're a different people from the Jewish people that uh, God was working with for a long time. And uh, we have just a, a different set of instructions for how we're supposed to live. And that's the basic idea of, of dispensationalism. And um, the way you get there is when you approach Scripture from the perspective that says, I'm going to try to understand what the author meant by what he says. If you approach Scripture from that, that perspective all the way through Scripture, and it doesn't matter what kind of passage you're reading, whether you're reading um, prophecy or you're reading something about salvation or 
something about history or or whatever if you approach from that perspective then the the system that comes out of the scriptures is what we call dispensationalism and it it tells us what the narrative is of the overall picture and it helps us understand some of the details of you know why why are our instructions different from instructions that were given to different people at different times so your bible study method is very important and that's what yields dispensationalism it's a what I would call plain sense of the language approach. Mm -hmm. What does the author intend? Who is he writing to? And then we compare scripture with scripture to make sure it's consistent. And it avoids the allegorical method of interpretation or spiritualizing promises. Uh, because one of the things that distinguishes dispensationalism is it, it uh, makes a distinction between the church and Israel, for example. Mm -hmm. So the promises to Israel in the Old Testament are not to the church. There's been a change from the age from when we were under the law to under grace, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I read an interesting article. I don't know if you saw it, but you know, Christianity Today magazine just came out. I was just looking at it this week, and they were talking about the concordance and how when the concordance was first developed by Cruden, was it? And he, and that started people on a journey of comparing scripture to scripture because they could find out where the other words were. And he says that dispensationalism rose out of that kind of Bible study when people started really digging into the scriptures for themselves. Mm -hmm. But then he makes the claim that dispensationalism, so, so he claims that dispensationalism is fairly recent and now it's becoming less popular. That's one criticism of dispensationalism is that it's fairly new, as also is the criticism of free grace theology. What do you say about that? Well, um, the first thing that we need to know is that, uh, you know, there have been a lot of times throughout history where most of the church has, has uh, been off on one subject or another. Uh, the Protestant Reformation is one example of the church trying to correct some of the historical errors that have been going on for, you know, more than a millennium at that point uh, relative to justification and um, you know, the priesthood and some other things that, that needed to be reformed. Uh, dispensationalism is, is just one more of those. If, uh, if our focus is trying to understand what Scripture says, then we, we need to put that first, and then we understand uh, historical theology in light of Scripture rather than the other way around. And um, if you really look at the development of dispensationalism versus what's called covenant theology, uh, the timing is really not that different. Um, covenant theology was, uh, was invented in the 1600s. There were dispensationalists that existed in the 1600s. It just didn't really stick and uh, start a movement until uh, Darby in the early 1800s. He actually um, laid out dispensationalism and had some people that carried on with his work from there. But there were dispensationalists that existed around the same time that covenant theology was was um, was becoming a thing. And what what would you say is covenant theology? How would you define that as opposed to dispensationalism? Yeah, so covenant theology has two covenants that define how they view scriptures. Um, dispensational dispensationalism I mentioned kind of tells you about the narrative of scripture, and so we would call that a narrative biblical theology. Covenant theology is another narrative biblical theology. But instead of saying these are the dispensations that, um, that we see in Scripture that come out of it, they have two covenants that are not found in Scripture. 
that they interpret scripture in light of. And those covenants are the covenant of works, which is the idea that God will save those who, who earn it through perfect obedience. And that's a covenant that's said to be between God and Adam. And then there's another covenant called the covenant of grace, or sometimes the covenant of redemption, that is said to be between God the Father and God the Son, in which Jesus makes a deal with the Father to say that he's going to live a life of perfect obedience, to die for the sins of, of uh, the elect, and this is, um, this is how it's typically ex- expressed. And then as a result, God will give Jesus Christ a bride, which is um, the church uh, of the elect. And that's that bride and the church is not distinguished between um, the Jewish people and, and uh, the, the body of Christ today. It's considered to be one body. And so the result of it is that basically from the fall of Adam, all of Scripture is interpreted as an outworking of that covenant of grace. God saving the elect people. That's right. And so so all of Scripture is viewed from a perspective that it's to tell people how to be saved. And you know, part of the, the issue with that is that there are a lot of things in Scripture that are about other things. They're about discipleship. Uh, Charlie, you wrote a book that's distinguishing salvation and discipleship, and I think that's a really mm-hmm. important distinction in Scripture. Um, that distinction kind of melts away under covenant theology. Um, you also have all kinds of things dealing with with reward, dealing with salvation from um, from circumstances and poor health and all kinds of things, um, salvation from enemies. And we we can if we're coming from a dispensational perspective, we can understand that God is dealing with a lot of different topics throughout Scripture, and not really just that one topic. And there's not any room really for the judgment seat of Christ in the uh, covenant theology because they see one great judgment and it's based on basically on works at the end of time. But And so it conflates the two judgments, what we would call the judgment seat of Christ with the great white throne judgment. And there's no thousand year period in between. So mm-hmm. they're usually not premillennial. And, um, and so salvation really becomes dependent upon works. Mm-hmm. Um, and those covenants, the covenants of grace, covenant of works, of course, are never explicitly mentioned in Scripture. They just imply them mm-hmm. theologically by imposing their theology on that. So would they say that dispensationalists, because we say that God's working in different ways in different times, would they say that we're preaching different gospels in each section, each period of time? Yes, um, that's a charge that I hear against dispensationalism that's um, leveled pretty often, but it's, it's, it's actually a, it's an ignorant charge. Um, free grace, or excuse me, dispensationalism has, has always taught that um, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And uh, the object of faith will, will differ a little bit depending on, um, on the dispensation and what has been revealed to the people at that time because you know, God didn't, he didn't write all of Scripture at once. It, it developed over thousands of years. Um, but there have been a couple of comments that, um, that dispensationalists made early on that have been misunderstood. Um, and some, some opponents of dispensationalism have, have um, really pushed that and, and taken those out of context and tried to imply that dispensationalists teach you know, salvation by works under the law, salvation by grace 
um, in the church, and that's just not the case. Yeah, it's not at all. It's always been by faith in the coming Messiah or what or what the Messiah would do for us, and that's been uh, since Genesis three fifteen and the promise that God made um, to uh, in the garden. Um, so the covenant theologians think the law in some form is still very important and that Christians must in some form not necessarily fulfill the law to be saved, but it must fulfill the law to show that they're saved, mm-hmm. uh, to evidence that at the at what they would call the, the great judgment at the end of time. Am I correct about that? Yeah, so um, there's a quote that I... Um, I can't quote it exactly, but it's it's something that John Piper wrote, and uh, he was he was talking about the Great White Throne Judgment, and he was making this argument that um, that the uh, judgment is for all the dead, and he kept repeating that you know the dead um, the dead were raised to this judgment, and and he kept bringing out this point and the 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 thrust of what he was saying is look all the dead are going to be judged at this time well as a dispensationalist we understand that that at that time that's that happens at the end of the thousand year reign of christ we're not dead we're not coming out of the grave at that time we we will already have been living on earth in glorified bodies with the lord for a thousand years and so we're not among the dead at that point um as far as the other so that you know that's a different judgment for different mm-hmm. people as 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 far as the other question or the other aspect of your question goes about um about the law they they would divide the law into uh typically three different sections mm-hmm. they would have what they would call the ceremonial law uh, the civil law and um and then the moral law and so they would say things like the ceremonial law would deal with uh, sacrifices of animals and and these sort of things, and they would say that Christ did away with that when he died. Um, and they would say that the civil things had to do with the theocracy, and um, if they are um, certain kinds of covenant theologians would would still bring some of those in, but um, others wouldn't, and they would say that that Christ did away with those when he died. But then the the moral law which is things like the Ten Commandments. And uh, sometimes they would include uh, like this, this, uh, keeping the Sabbath and those sort of things, but that's, that's going to depend on person to person. Um, they would say that those, those sort of things do still apply to the church. And uh, the interesting thing about it is that some of the passages in Scripture, especially in Paul's letters, that address our freedom from the law are actually specifically naming the Ten Commandments, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or uh, the prohibition against coveting in uh, Romans chapter 7, mm-hmm. as things that the Lord has freed us from that. And he's not freed us from that so that we can live disobediently, but he's freed us from that so that we can live by the Spirit in a way that actually does work out the holiness of God and righteousness. And we're under the law of Christ, the law of love. And, if, and the Bible teaches that if we love God with all our hearts, love love Christ with all our hearts, then we will f- we'll keep the commandments of the law, the righteous requirements of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, that three division of the, the law into three divisions is really an artificial, again, an artificial construct imposed on the scriptures because the law is always spoken of as a unit. Mm-hmm. 
in the scripture and the Bible clearly says that we're not under law today um, but if we love our neighbor love love God then we'll do what is right and we'll fulfill the law mm-hmm. so that's the way the dispensationalists would approach it can you kind of summarize for us how the difference between how dispensationalists approach the scripture I think we've already done this but some of the distinctives of a dispensational hermeneutic or Bible study method as opposed to how does somebody become a millennial or covenant theologian or a high Calvinist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so most conservative scholars would agree that the right way to interpret scripture, for the most part, is to find out what the author said, author, author meant by what he said. But uh, covenant theologians, or really all non-dispensationalists, would, would say that there are some exceptions to that rule. And so they would say things like the promises that God made to Israel, those are not going to be literally fulfilled to Israel. They're going to be allegorically fulfilled in the church. And so the dispensationalists would say, well, um, that would actually challenge the faithfulness of God and say that, you know, that, that uh, God isn't really going to keep his promises that he made. Um, so if I, if I tell you I'm going to give you $20 and then I give $20 to this other guy that I haven't fulfilled my promise to you. And so um, covenant theologians will, will uh, allegorize a lot of these passages that have to do with uh, prophecy. And so uh, the, the effect of that is that uh, the promise of a kingdom that was made uh, to the Jewish people of a, of a literal land uh, that was made that promise was made starting with Abraham in chapter 15 and even before that in chapter 13 just not quite as um, of, of Genesis just not quite as detailed but that that land if you read through in in uh, Genesis chapter 15 he's naming these specific places and then the Jewish people have never had all that land um, and so it's it's a it's a promise that's yet to be fulfilled mm-hmm. and so if we're going to interpret all of these these promises and all these, that's essentially a, a promise from God is a prophecy. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're going to interpret those literally, we need to understand that that God is is actually going to have a descendant from David sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, ruling over the nations in a land that was promised to Abraham. And so. Um, it, we see also in, in uh, Revelation that, that this is the only time that it's mentioned the, the, the length of it, but uh, it's going to be a thousand years of that before the new earth. And so it's, it's, uh, it's important for us to understand that, that um, it's, the, it's the hermeneutics of always, 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 without exception, coming to the conclusion that whatever the author intended by what he wrote, is what the Bible means in that passage. So context is important. Yes. <laughs> context is king when it comes to Bible study methods. That's mm-hmm. why I thought it was so interesting to read this Christianity Today article, which said that when people discovered the concordance, that they began to do serious Bible study and they came out dispensational. <laughs> and and uh, uh, duh, it's like, duh, you know, study the scriptures. <laughs> And I identify with that because uh, throughout my Christian life, I just studied the scriptures with input from some teachers at certain points. Not all of them were dispensationalists, uh, uh, or really clearly dispensational or, or free grace thinking. But it was just the study of the scriptures that led me to where I am today with the help of others 
of course, in, in some difficult interpretations along the way. But uh, so this term replacement theology has come along that says the church has replaced Israel and the promises to Israel uh, are promises to the church. And uh, some would say that Israel has been rejected uh, forever mm-hmm. by God, but there are some who fudge on that too. There's all different variations of covenant theology, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yep, there's a lot of different variations. And one that's really gaining a lot of steam these days is, is called postmillennialism. And which it, used to be popular in the 1800s. It was. It was very popular. It went out of went, went out of favor. So explain what that means uh, for for the folks who are listening. Sure. So uh, the three millennial views uh, that are are most most common are premillennialism, which is what the dispensationalists hold to, which is the idea that Christ is going to come at the beginning of a thousand year reign, and then he's going to set up his kingdom and rule uh, from David's throne in Jerusalem. Uh, that's the dispensational view called premillennialism, and then amillennialism is the idea that there isn't going to be a millennium, but that Christ rules metaphorically in the hearts of believers today, right now. Today, right now. That's right. And I, I always like what um, my mentor, Doctor Earl Rodmacher, used to say. He used to say, um, "Don't blame this mess on my Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, because Satan is still causing a lot of trouble in the. <laughs> In the kingdom, he's supposed to be locked up, according That's to right. scriptures. That's right. So during the kingdom, Christ, or excuse me, Satan is going to be bound, um, and so if, uh, it doesn't make sense that this is the kingdom if if uh, Satan is still prow- prowling about like a roaring lion. Um, the third view is is postmillennialism, and that's the idea that the church is supposed to actually establish the kingdom, and that Christ will come back at the end of it. And so uh, post-millennialism is becoming popular. It's, it seems to be um, people are adopting it because it gives, um, it gives them some, some idea that uh, they as Christians can kind of you know, take over society and make people behave and all that kind of stuff. And so so po- politics becomes very important to a post-millennial view. That's right. Um, in, in trying to get society to adhere to the law. And when we do that, then Christ will return. I don't think things are going in that direction. A lot of people got disenchanted with the world wars that came along and said, you know, the world's not getting better, it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. From my viewpoint, the world is getting worse, not better. So, mm-hmm. um, Okay, well, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, David's throne is considered a literal throne from which Christ will reign on earth from Zion or Israel. Uh, some people, well, I don't want to get into a lengthy discussion of this, but some people say that he's on David's throne now mm-hmm. in heaven. What would be your quick answer to that? Sure. So uh, there, there are two scriptures I'd want to bring up about that. One is in Psalm 122. Um, it says very, very clearly that the thrones of the house of David are in Jerusalem. Uh, the second point I would make is that uh, Matthew 25, 31 actually says specifically that um, he says, when... The Son of Man comes with all the holy in His glory, with all the holy angels with Him. Then He will take the take the throne of His Father David. And so, if we haven't seen Christ come with in all of His glory with all the holy angels with Him, then Christ is not on David's throne. Yeah. Very good. Okay, so free grace theology comes from a dispensational approach to the Scriptures, which learns to separate the the age of the law and what God was doing under the law from what he's doing in the age of grace and the church age not that salvation is any different 
because under the the law wasn't given to save people; it was given to condemn people. But faith was all. It wasn't through the sacrifice; it was always through faith in in the one who would be the eternal sacrifice. So, we come to the view of free grace theology that grace, salvation, has always been by grace through faith, absolutely free and unconditional, and unmerited, and that's the position we hold today. And and you know that view has always. The, the controversy from the beginning of the church has always been the role of works, whether they're involved in the beginning of salvation or as proof of salvation. So really, it's not been called a free grace controversy, although it was in the 1600s in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Interesting book about that. We could talk about sometime. But um, it's, it's always been a discussion of the role of works in assurance of salvation. How do we know we're saved? So the free grace discussion has always been around, but not called that. In recent decades, it's been called the free grace discussion, and movements have sprung up in different different segments and different ways. But we um, are involved in what's called free grace alliance. Mm-hmm. And uh, full disclosure, uh, I was I helped start the free grace alliance and was director at one point myself, president at one point myself. Uh, and so, but we've grown quite a bit as an organization now. Grant is the director, and there's a, is a very good, healthy board of directors. What is the uh, what is the purpose of the Free Grace Alliance? How is it stated? Sure, um, I, I don't have the exact words with me, but uh, the the basic idea is that we are hoping to and working to uh, advance the gospel around the world, uh, the Free Grace gospel around the world, by connecting, encouraging, and equipping Free Grace people in ministries. And so the idea there is that, uh, you know, there are a lot of free grace people, and I still talk to free grace people all the time, that, you know, maybe they're just starting to, to be familiar with the Free Grace Alliance, or they just heard about us. And they say, man, I've been out here all on my own, and I don't have any any community mm-hmm. to support me or help me and all this. And, and I'm just so thankful to find out that there is something like that out there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we'll do is, is try to help them find other free grace people that are around or uh, connect them with free grace uh, resources and, and all that kind of thing. We, all those kind of things. We have um, conferences that we do and, and uh, we have, uh, you know, we do, when I say conferences, we have regional conferences. We have an annual conference. Yeah. And so, um, you know, these, we, uh, we do some publications uh, we have a magazine that we send out quarterly, and the idea is that, that through these different avenues, we can help people to not only get connected with others, but also encourage them in their, their walk and their um, activity in, in defense of uh, free grace theology, and then also equip them to, to be more effective ministers in doing that. I just want to clarify something you said, because when I asked you the purpose of the Free Grace Alliance, you said that the purpose was to spread the free grace message around the world, and so we're really a missional organization mm-hmm. uh, not that we're not academic we have we devote a lot of time to academics and re, and discussing things of importance in biblical interpretation and theology and so forth but we think we know enough about the gospel to spread it around the world and the free grace alliance has allowed for partnerships and connections to be made and just amazing things happen outside of the formal organization the free grace alliance but we didn't spring up as opposition or competition to any other organization. That's sometimes a misconception. I just want to clarify that. We're a missional organization and we're accomplishing our mission of getting the gospel around the world. Uh, 
I see things happen like at our annual conference, our annual international conference, where people get together and say, hey, let's do this and this. And um, it's not that the Free Grace Alliance itself is doing those things, but we're bringing ministries together who are cooperating to do those things. Mm -hmm. um, although the Free Grace Alliance does have regional conferences, and, and those are always exciting to do because not everybody wants to travel to either the Houston area or the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we've been having the international conference. But this year's international conference, we had people from what countries? Uh, well, you might know a little better. You brought some of them. <laughs> yeah, I know I had some from Ghana and Burundi in Africa. Uh -huh. Yeah, we had um, we had somebody from Pakistan. Uh -huh. um, we had, where else did we have folks from? Well, I know missionaries from uh, Ukraine were there and uh, mm -hmm. probably some other countries, missionaries from other countries. I think there was Canadian uh, was there as well. Yeah, yeah, we had, uh, we had quite a few people from around around the world. Yeah, and so it's been a good conference, and uh, it's it's we have a great board uh, who's working to get this message out. Uh, is there anything uh, in the future that's that we should know about with the FGA? Sure. Um, yeah, we have uh, our first in-print book coming out very soon, and, and uh, this is going to be as the second edition of Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Magnifies the Gospel. Um, we're going to make that available to our members first, uh, so they can, they can actually get it and, and uh, share it with their friends before, uh, before anybody else does, but that'll be available soon on, on Amazon as well. Um, we have a new magazine that we just put out. Uh, we have conferences coming up. Um, we have our next one is going to be in Mississippi in February. Uh, we have um, I'm going to be attending a conference in Europe. Uh, this is going to be in, in Budapest, and this is with the the Greater Grace uh, organization, Greater Grace World Outreach. I think is the full name. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not sure yet if I'm going to have a chance to speak there, but I, I think I should be able to. Uh, we're working with trying to set up a, a conference while I'm over there in Vienna. Um, so we, we have some opportunities there. We're going to be in New Jersey uh, for a regional conference in April. We'll be in Wisconsin in May. And then um, sometime probably in June, we're going to be traveling to uh, Kenya, South Africa, and Ghana. Uh, Kenya and Ghana, the, the primary uh, focus there will be having some conferences where we're sharing free grace theology with uh, mostly pastors. And uh, we're talking about starting up a, a Bible school in South Africa. So um, that's that's going to be uh, sort of a trip to set some groundwork for that for that work. So if people wanted to find out more about these regional conferences and exactly where they are and when they are, they should go to our website, freegracealliance.com. That's right. Yeah, and get on the mailing list so they'll be notified. That's right. And then what if they wanted to have a, a, because oftentimes people say there's nothing in our area, how can I get something going? What if they wanted to have a regional conference in their area? Yeah, so what we need is a, a local church to participate and help us out with that. Uh, we, we ask that the church um, help us meet our, our costs, our travel expenses uh, for coming out there um, and provide a facility for us to meet in. Um, and some some minimal staff to you know turn on the lights and, and those sort of things. Uh, typically, churches will help us out with uh, preparing worship uh, for our conferences as well. Uh, and then, if they if anybody wants to do that, you know we're we're happy to do that um, kind of in in any area area around the world. Uh, just write me an email. Uh, my email is Grant Holly H A W L E Y at FreeGraceAlliance.com. 
and I'd, I'd love to talk with you more about it. Great. I hope people do that. You know, why is it? I want to talk just a second about why it's important to do. Why should people join the FGA to begin with? Uh, the membership fee is what? How much for a year? It's a hundred bucks a year. Hundred dollars a year. Now, why should I pay a hundred dollars a year to belong to another organization? <laughs> yeah, I, I know that uh, you know the bills seem to pile up today. Um, there's a, there are a lot of expenses, and everything keeps getting more expensive. Uh, but if you join the Free Grace Alliance, um, the, the first thing to think about is that you're actually supporting a really important ministry. And Let me just interject here. Is there anything more important than the gospel? No. Okay, there no, we go. Not. And so, so your dues go to, to help support the ministry. But, uh, you know, we also have a, a print edition of the magazine. You just, you just got to be a member and you have, have to make sure that we have your address. Um, so, but if you have that, you'll get, get that quarterly. Uh, we have we just had our first um, Zoom chat for members, which was a lot of fun. We had uh, Jody Dillo on there. People got to ask him some questions, and then they had some questions about Free Grace Alliance and what we're doing. Uh, so that was a really nice time uh, for members to to get to know each other a little better and and see what the Lord's doing through that work. Uh, we are just about to start what's called um, a Discord chat. Discord is an app um, that uh, helps people. It's like if you remember those old chat rooms, this is like a, a recurring mm-hmm. chat room. It's always open uh, for a particular group. And so we'll have a chat room that's just for Free Grace uh, Alliance members. And so people can, can use that to ask people questions about the Bible or theology or uh, plan out um, some kind of uh, ministry activity together or, um, or uh, pray for each other and all those sort of things. And, you know, as time goes on, we're, we're, we're always looking for more things that we can do for our members. And so, um, you know, I just recently started full-time as a, the executive director. And so uh, that means that I can put a lot more time into, um, into making sure that our members um, have a lot of benefits and, and, uh, and things like that. Yeah, so finances are very important because uh, as a newer organization, we don't have a strong financial base, so we appreciate contributions to help you stay full-time. And, you know, when you join the FGA, one thing people don't realize is that it's not so much that FGA itself is a mission going on trips, although we do the regionals. Mm -hmm. It's that you're indirectly supporting so many other ministries that are involved and helping them connect, and there's so much going on. And hopefully those things get will get reported, you know, in days to come in the newsletter and things like that. Mm-hmm. And what I often tell people is that you may not feel like you need the FGA, but the gospel needs you. Mm-hmm. In other words, the gospel needs to have more, the free grace gospel needs to have more adherents who are visible and vocal so that people take us more seriously because there are some who want to say, oh, we're just a small group and dismiss us or new and, and so forth. Although that's that's uh, getting turned on its head because people are starting to criticize us in print, which is a good thing. That means that we're growing and, and showing a lot of influence, and so they're having to respond to us. So the gospel needs your voice, and that's why I encourage people to join the FGA and, and get locked into this group this of uh, kindred fellowship, uh, same, same, um, same kind of mindset in, as far as the gospel. And what is more important than the gospel? That's that's really the point. Amen. Amen. Well, Grant, I want to thank you for spending time with us and explaining to us uh, what some people might find a, dispens- a, <laughs> just a, a difficult word and 
and concept, dispensationalism, it's not that difficult once we understand it in the way you explained it. So thanks for explaining that to us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We'll have to get you on to maybe explain some other aspects of that someday. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it again. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast today. And if you take away anything from this podcast, first of all, get a hold of some of Grant's resources um, and and get locked into the Free Grace Alliance. And my website is always available to you for resources. Uh, But if you take away anything, take away this, that the gospel is absolutely free. That means the good news is that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins for all of eternity when he died on the cross. And when he rose again from the dead, it proves that God accepted his sacrifice and that he has the power to give us that eternal life. And all we have to do is believe in him for it. And we have there's nothing we can do to earn it, deserve it. We cannot reform ourselves. We can't change our lives. It's futile. There's nothing to be that we can do because God's standard is perfection. Jesus alone met that standard of perfection. And so when you trust in him, he becomes your savior. He did what we couldn't do. So if you haven't believed in him, Put your trust in him today. Put your faith in him today and what he's done for you. And you will discover the wonderful freedom of the gospel. Thanks for listening. Until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.